Here we are in the UK, so I have to quote Shakespeare. So what did Shakespeare say? He said, the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mighty. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. I'm really, really excited to be here with you today. Um, we have the honor of sitting down with um, Mother Rukmini. And uh, I was honored to first see you during the Hare Krishna premiere oh. of the film. And you spoke about Prabhupada in a very beautiful way. And then I was honored to meet you in person uh, last year during the Japa retreat mm. on my birthday in Terakadamba. So oh. it was a very auspicious uh, meeting. That was a magical day. And it, um, we were chanting 64 rounds, all the devotees together. And the whole time uh, I was thinking, I need to approach you and say that I'm a huge fan and, and just say Haribo. <laughs> but, that was actually the day that I found out at the end of chanting 64 rounds that day in that holy place. That's when I found out that um, I, I got a text from my son Gauravani and he said, guess what, I'm getting initiated. No way. So now that's happening uh, this coming Sunday. Wow. But it was it was really seemed to be such a gift from Krishna to hear hear that wonderful news wow. on that day. So that's a very special day indeed. Yeah. And he's been very um, you know, he hasn't wanted to jump in to make that decision because he wanted to really be able to promise that he could fulfill the promises that come along with it. So it's mm. very exciting. So. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like Gauravani has always been a role model for me. Um, I'm very passionate about kirtan and about sharing Krishna consciousness and also about producing films in, in different capacities. And Gauravani has done all of those things and, and I hope to meet him someday. So yeah. if he's watching, please come to <laughs> London. <laughs> um, but yes, I wanted to ask you, first of all, I believe you joined in 1968 right. when you were 16 years old. Right. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Um, yes. So I, when I was growing up, I, I really couldn't figure out what was going on in the world. I sort of felt like I had been dropped from another planet, like some kind of an alien, because I just couldn't understand what was, I mean, this is the Inspire show, right? So. I couldn't figure out what was inspiring people to do what they were doing in their lives. And I remember as a child sort of sitting in the window and watching people drive off to work and to play and whatever they were doing and just thinking, why are they, why are they doing what they're doing? And, they're, you know, everything's so temporary and what's their motivation? So, yeah, the path of, of um, Krishna Bhakti really resonated with me when I I guess in particular, I mean, I was looking for spiritual truth, I was looking for answers, but I would say I was very inspired, there's your show again, <laughs> I was very inspired by the reciprocation of love between that Prabhupada was exhibiting, my, my Guru Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, that Prabhupada was exhibiting the reciprocation between him and his beloved Lord Krishna, the reciprocation between him and his uh, disciples, and the reciprocation that he showed for all living beings in the in the world, you know, 
I think I told this story the other night, but once he was sitting at his desk and there was a little bug crawling on his desk and he called his secretary, Shrutakirti, and he said, he said, he's hungry. You know, take him outside where he can find something to eat. So just that very expanded, blown open consciousness of, of really seeing life and seeing the spirit in all living beings. And yeah, I was very inspired by that. And it's a, it's, it's ex- extremely personal path. Sometimes we see in the in, in spiritual practices that people want to lose their identity, but on the bhakti path, we we don't feel that we could be happy by losing our identity. We feel that we can be happy by truly uncovering our real identity in relationship, again with with Krishna, with with other living beings. So that's something very beautiful about the bhakti tradition. So, uh, so if I understood correctly, inspiration comes from people, not necessarily the philosophy or, or the culture, but it was really the person, Prabhupada, showing his love to you, to all of the devotees, to the little ants on the table <laughs> that inspired you? Is that well, correct? according to the bhakti tradition, we are social beings, and that's eternal. That's not just a, a covering that we would that we would lose when we get moksha or liberation, but we are by nature social beings, and we we cherish um, love and reciprocation and and play and activity and and um, that's part of our sort of spiritual DNA, you might say, that we are um, eternal, full of knowledge, full of bliss, and and our our coverings that we have in this world are, are such that we feel that um, we're, we're suffering because of a misidentification of who we are. We have a, like a spiritual amnesia. Mm. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten who we, who we love. We've forgotten where we belong and what our purpose is. So I think this bhakti path um, uncovers yeah, I was just I was just remembering I was hearing Gauravani say the other day, Gauravani was leading a kirtan. So he's my son, and he was um, leading a kirtan, and he was saying that that there's so many locks that we have on our hearts, and and even the keys that should work are so rusty, and our our these locks are so so rusted over, and our hearts are so rusted over. And he was saying that the holy name of Krishna, you were mentioning kirtan, loving kirtan, so this kirtan of the holy name of Krishna, he was saying it's like this, I don't know if you have this product in the UK, WD-40? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so he was saying that the holy name is like <laughs> is like WD. Yeah, it's for, you spray it on. So it's this wonderful uh, spray that... It dissolves the rust that's on our hearts. Such so they, a beautiful way to look at that. Yeah. Mm. So it's a it's a magical power of uncovering the rust, and of course Chaitanya Mahaprabhu talks about this also of uh, clearing the the dust from the heart, clearing the rust. That's you know Krishna is described as the all attractive person. So why aren't we attracted? Mm. Because our hearts are covered with rust, so that attractive potency. Uh, doesn't act on our hearts. So by the process of, of chanting the holy name, the process of kirtan, that, that rust becomes dissolved and the attractive potency can begin to work. And, um, yeah. I, I have so many questions from everything that you just said. Okay. But um, one, one thing that I did want to 
to ask you, which I will uh, connect to what you were just saying. I've, I've been recently thinking that there's a difference between Vedic culture, the organized religion, whether it's Christianity or the Hare Krishna movement, whatever mm -hmm. that is, and then Bhakti Yoga itself. Mm. And as spiritualists, sometimes we focus so much on the Vedic ritual or on the management institution of getting things done and making them work that we forget the bhakti element mm -hmm. and we forget to be personable and, and have a heart-to-heart -heart connection and mm -hmm. um, it can become very dry and, mm -hmm. and we were doing this leadership course with with your husband and Uttaman saying oftentimes we become fried <laughs> become fried become fried yeah so a lot of different emotions and feelings come and it it doesn't really make sense if we're practicing bhakti why that would happen mm -hmm. what, what are your well bhakti thoughts? bhakti should be dynamic and if it's not dynamic then there's something wrong so yeah what is the, some definitions of bhakti it's sometimes bhakti is defined as an opening of the heart or an offering of the heart in one place ramanujacharya de describes bhakti as um what does he say he said it's upasana or meditation that's been saturated with pretty or love right. which is really really beautiful so it's real when it's dynamic when it's you know just like fire when it's real when you touch fire you know it's real but sometimes i would say maybe even in all religious traditions there are great spiritual personalities who are the founders of these traditions and just like we're talking now, their, their uh, spiritual emotion, their gifts, their spiritual realizations are like fire. And that fire acts, it's like molten lava. But then sometimes after a period of time, maybe after a few hundred years or after some time, then that kind of molten lava, that molten fiery rock begins to calcify. Mm. And it just becomes cold and hard and institutionalized. So we have to be so careful to, to keep it real yeah. and to keep it um, active and alive. And institutions, let's face it, sometimes institutions have a tendency to kill the individual spirit of the people. So it's up to people to be, have that revolutionary spirit that's there in uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that was there in St. Francis, that was there you know, in, in so many great religious teachers and make sure that it doesn't uh, calcify and become cold and hard and it's something to watch out for in our own hearts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that's happening a lot these days, uh, especially if you, if you look on the everyone's Instagram's account, okay. everyone's posting a lot of positive quotes about heal yourself, you know, you're strong, you're beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, the teachings of bhakti are about being humble and tolerant. Mm -hmm. um, so what's the balance between, you know, feeling strong and um, confident, but at the same time also feeling humble and not going into the lower uh, regions of low self-esteem? Right. Well, I think there's something very unique in the path of bhakti that bhakti is described as a descending process where, where grace and mercy is, is coming down. 
And here we are in the UK, so I have to quote Shakespeare. So what did Shakespeare say? He said, the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven. It blesses the one who gives and the one who receives. And then he says something beautiful that, that this quality of mercy is more becoming on a, on a king or a queen, king or queen or ruler um, than, than even the royal crown. The jeweled crown is not as beautiful as this quality of mercy. So bhakti is all about this quality of mercy. It's not about our own endeavor. It's not about, you know, standing in a big conquering pose and I'm going to have so much shakti and I'm going to go out and conquer the world. But it's a reciprocation between our sincere, simple, heartfelt desire to, to love and to, to know God and to love, love Krishna and that grace coming down and blessing us to be able to do, um, to achieve. And, um, I, you know, I'm partly from New York, so I have to give you a New York example. I don't know if this happens in London, but in New York you see people riding a bike. And sometimes they'll be holding on the back of a truck. And so the bike can maybe only go 15 miles an hour, yeah. whatever. But by holding on to the back of the truck, they can go at a much higher velocity. So bhakti is like that, that we get carried by a higher velocity of grace just by our sincerity and our, our um, humility. So it's much more powerful than working just by our own endeavor because by nature we're very small. The nature of the jiva soul, the atma, jivatma, is to be infinitesimal, but still sacred. So we have a sacred worthiness that we should never forget. We're, mm-hmm. we're worthy just by nature of our, of our um, sacred identity. But we're still, we're tiny. So we have to lean in to receive that grace. So we have a, in bhakti, we always have a choice. We can lean into receiving grace and be empowered, be inspired, like your inspire um, sure. show. <laughs> so yeah, like, like fire is, is inspiring. That light is inspiring. We can lean into the light or we can lean into the shadow. We always have that choice. Mm. But it, it's not as though I am the big fire right. because that's a mistake. And then um, our, our inspiration can only be so small if I, if I think I am the whole fire because I'm just the little spark. But when I lean in, I can be dancing in the light of the fire. And when I lean out, I, I become cold and isolated. And um, yeah, so I think, I think that's an important uh, point about bhakti, that we want to, to lean into to love, to community, to, to dancing in the joy of devotion rather than isolation. And isolation is so dangerous hmm. for all of us, uh, no matter... You know, sometimes they say the higher they are, the, the bigger they are, the ha- harder they fall or whatever. But yeah. So, um, yeah, we have to be careful not to think that I am, you know, I am alone and I'm powerful and, and I don't need you. I don't need my friends. I don't need my family. I don't need my, my parents or my community because then we, um, we really can, can crash. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a lot to think about. And oftentimes we try to do things on our own, and uh, we obviously need the, the community support. Yeah, it's such. A, I think it's a part of Western thinking, and, and these days, Western thinking goes everywhere. I mean, even in Eastern cultures, the internet is there, and and uh, so there used to be a big gulf between Eastern thinking and Western thinking. But I think that 
kind of individualistic thinking, I can do it on my own, and I don't need you, is um, sort of rampant. But it's, it's dangerous mm. because we, we do need each other and we need to, to honor each other. Um, Chaitanya, Sri Chaitanya talked about how we can only really chant the holy name in a humble state of mind, uh, like, like uh, humility more than grass. And if you think of grass, grass is just a plural. There's no singular grass. <laughs> grass, right, is, right. Grass, is, yeah. grass is plural. And then right. forbearance or tolerance more than a tree. So in our culture, we have this pyramid of power where human beings are at the top. Mm. And we are, we are the sovereign. And we think that we can control and manipulate. And, and um, I was just hearing something the other day that one of the big um, 1% leaders of the world is thinking the solution to global warming is that we'll just send up some kind of an apparatus into the sky to block the sun. And then, you know, so we, we, we think in terms of this kind of controlling, manipulating, dominating way. Mm. So this pyramid of power that we, we all kind of think like this, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was actually reduced or re- reverted it or inverted it to be like this, to put the grass and the trees and, and the earth and all living beings at the top. And, and we as human beings should be thinking, how can I serve you? This is bhakti. How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I honor you? How can I honor the earth? How can I be the servant of the servant of the servant of all living beings? This is, this is the beauty of bhakti. And I think it's, it's really profound. I think it's because it's, it's authentic, mm. you know. It's who we really are. You know, I'll tell you a story. Sorry. (laughs) I'll tell you a story. When I first um, came to Krishna consciousness and first first met Srila Prabhupada, there was a a god sister who who was a friend of mine, and she had been learning from a a yogi, also uh, studying yoga. And her yoga teacher, um, she came to Prabhupada's shelter also, but her previous yoga teacher was teaching his students that I am lighting the sun, I am lighting the moon, yeah, I am, you know, I am the, the, the source of the sun and the moon. And, and, you know, they were supposed to meditate like that. And she was sitting on a mountaintop thinking, thinking that you know, under her instructions she was getting from her teacher, I'm lighting the sun, I'm lighting the moon, I'm, I'm powerful. And she was looking at the sky, and that day the sun didn't come out at all. It was really overcast and sort of rainy. And then she realized this is really... Um, so untrue that mm. we really are small and we really have to access that grace in order to access our own power and, and to be able to make a change in the world. And I think Bhakti's all about that spiritual revolution, changing. So many people want to change the world, but on the path of Bhakti we realize that we have to really change ourselves. We have to really look at the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, and change my own consciousness. And then we will be that that like rod of fire that can that can touch people and, and change people's hearts. So <laughs> it's it almost seems like a, a change of perspective from thinking, why isn't everyone serving me? To <laughs> um, having a lot of gratitude yeah. for people. Like I, I always remember the story that Radnat Swami tells about one of his disciples who was diagnosed with cancer and mm-hmm. he had a few weeks left to live and when he came to visit him this devotee was crying and crying and Radhanath Swami thought he was 
crying in pain from the cancer, but he was actually crying out of gratitude, and he was so grateful that um, all, all of these devotees were there to support him, and he was able to leave his body in such a glorious way. That's amazing. Yeah, I think, I mean, I consider bhakti the yoga of gratitude, mm. and gratitude is, um, well, alienation, like we're talking about isolation, alienation, and gratitude can't really sit in the same heart at the same time. Right. So when we can access that, that mood of gratitude, or, or even more so, a practice of gratitude, a daily practice of gratitude, then it's a complete shift in consciousness. Um, there's this one quote about gratitude that I love. I think this is from Abraham Maslow, where he says, this is the gift to have, um, to, to be able to, let me think of this, <laughs> let me think. This is the gift, to have the wonderful capacity to appreciate um, the basic, to, to appreciate the basic goods of life uh, freshly and naively, mm. freshly and naively with awe, pleasure, wonder, and even ecstasy, you know. So it's a, it's a consciousness, it's a completely, it's an inversion. It's just as you just said, it's a complete inversion of the materialistic thinking where it's all about me and everyone should be paying their due respects to me and all my greatness. It's a complete inversion. And it's a very childlike consciousness also when you look at saintly people from all traditions, again, St. Francis, um, saints in the bhakti tradition, they have a childlike sense of wonder. So to be able to open ourselves to that wonderful appreciation for the, the, just the, the surprises that come at, to us every day. Like in other words, we can live as, as though, oh yeah, I've seen that a million times, I heard that a million times, and nothing is new and nothing is magical. Or actually, this is a quote from Einstein, he said that, um, there are two ways to live our lives. One is that to see everything as a miracle, and the other to see nothing as a miracle. Mm. So you have your choice. You can see nothing as a miracle, or you can see everything as a miracle. So to see the sunrise and to think, yeah, I've seen that a million times, or to think, wow, you know, God is, God is present, and I'm awake to the beauty that that I, of the gifts I'm receiving, like a little child, you know, you, you give a little child a lollipop and, and there's just such magic in their eyes. So if yeah. we could be seeing or receiving the basic goods of life with that kind of awe and pleasure and wonder and, and even coming to ecstasy, that's, a, that's an ecstatic bhakti you, consciousness. You were saying something similar with chanting the other day. And I think Satchinandamarin says the same thing, that. I want you to chant a mantra that you've never chanted before. Yeah, the so yeah, like he says he says I'm going to teach you um, a mantra that you've never heard before. So, but just imagine if we were chanting each name of Krishna as though this is the first time I've ever said this name, mm. and then also on the other side, as though this is the last time I'm going to have this opportunity. Wow. That, okay, I am dying that now. That really makes a difference. Yeah, I'm dying now. This is the last mantra I will ever chant. This is the last time my voice will ever um, articulate this name of Krishna. So pour your heart into it. 
So, yeah, that's real. That, I think that's living conscious bhakti. You know, I was thinking of St. Francis. There's a nice quote from St. Francis where he said, he said, I try to preach all day, and if necessary, I also use a few words. Hmm. <laughs> so he was trying to just By live. Example. Yeah, he was just trying to live as a grateful um, person in, in love. And he was so conscious of the gifts of God and, and you know, brother, son, sister, moon, all of the gifts around him in nature. But it, it was, his cup was overflowing. And, and he could also speak about it if necessary, but he was mostly living it. Sometimes there's a, there's a nice example that's given also of a fountain. This is a nice example that a fountain is overflowing. Mm. And the bowl may be this big, but, but the, the water is overflowing. So our hearts should be overflowing with gratitude. But if, if the bowl of our sort of acquisitions or things that we think we've got to have if that bowl is just getting bigger and bigger, I've got to have this and a bigger this and a better that. And if I keep acquiring more and more stuff, even mentally or, you know, on the material plane, but if that bowl keeps getting bigger, then that fountain doesn't get to overflow. Right. Because it, it just, um, the bowl is too big. So we have to stay simple and stay um, sincere and simple. and We want it to overflow. <laughs> yeah, we want that fountain to overflow, that, that fountain of love mm. in our hearts should be overflowing with gratitude. And when I'm not feeling like that, if I'm feeling that alienation, I have to really look in my heart and think, what do I need to do to, to shift this around? Because I'm, I'm feeling so alienated, so I'd better find something to be grateful for. And sometimes it's the smallest little thing. Like, you know, we tend to not thank the elevator operator or the, um, the person who dumps the trash mm. or, or even our own kids or our own parents or own people that, you know, we always tend to take for granted the people in our lives that are supposed to mean the most to us. And um, you I mentioned... Think, yeah, they're, they're meant to do that for me. Yeah, they're meant to do that for me or they're supposed to do that in school, but... But, but they don't uh, have to, yeah, and and as as parents, sometimes you were mentioning parenting earlier. As mm. parents, we, you know, they bring home a report card, and there's maybe three A's and and a, a B, and the, you know, the parent is like, well, what's this B? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, to to really appreciate and catch ourselves, even ourselves, appreciating our own small endeavors. Mm. So to catch ourselves doing it right, to hear the sincerity of our own voice. And to catch other people in our lives doing it right, like, thank you so much for, for um, offering that flower this morning. It was so, it was such a sweet gesture, and I appreciate it so much. Or, you know, usually we only mention when things are wrong or somebody right. flubs up or something. They feel really good when yeah. you tell them that. You're speaking about parenting right now, and um, I'm wondering that. Maybe every parent, every spiritual parent out there would like to have a son like Gauravani. <laughs> and I can imagine how happy and, and grateful and satisfied you might be. Mm. Um, what advice would you give parents out there? Like, for example, when I think of the reason why I'm still a, a spiritual uh, practitioner today is because my mother never forced anything upon me. Mm. And I've seen a lot of my friends who were forced 
or um, they see their parents in a different space right now and they blame that spiritual practice mm. uh, and, and now as a result they're not practicing anymore. So, so what are some of your tips for parents out there? Well, I think joy is very contagious. And if you love something, then your children will, that will be contagious. Again, if you, you want your child to practice piano and you keep hammering them to practice piano, then maybe they'll practice. But if, if you love piano, if you love music, then that will be contagious for them. So I think when kids see that their parents are experiencing some joy in the path of, of spiritual life in, in chanting and kirtan, then that will be contagious for the kids also. But when the, when the parents are just trying to, as you say, when the parents are just trying to force and that's not something they themselves are, are experiencing any taste for, then that can be counterproductive. And, um, you know, with, with Gauravani, it's... Should we stop because of the hammering? Or it's fine. Yeah. Okay. okay. With Gauravani, um, yeah, he's, he's such a wonderful kirtanier and... Um, beautiful devotee and he's very seems like a happy person as well yeah and he's you know he's he's someone he was to tell you the truth when he was in school he was bullied mm. he was bullied by the teachers and bullied by some of the kids so he comes from a place of um, having experienced some uh, um, some genuine pain himself right. and I think it's made him a more compassionate person it wasn't just all flowers and roses yeah so he suffered but because he suffered and I know we try to um, protect our kids from suffering mm. and I know sometimes parents in the bhakti tradition don't like to read their kids stories from the Krishna book because they think oh there's a lot of fighting and and there's a lot of violent stuff We're non -violent <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know Krishna's pastimes are are very healing and um, to understand the transcendental nature of his activities and how he how he how he comes to this world and how he how he can save the faithful people, but even ordinary stories. Like I was recently, I was someone was telling me there's an article in some newspaper about how even Grimm's fairy tales and Hans Christian Andersen and those kinds of stories that have witches and all kinds of scary things mm. are actually really good for children because children learn the reality that there are dangers in this world and there are scary things in this world. And that children should get that from the beginning of life, that um, you should try to lean in toward, toward the goodness and lean in toward the love and, and keep friends who are, are good and holy people because there are mm. those influences in the world and that can't be, children can't be sheltered from a, them. They need to be safeguarded. Yeah, safeguarded with knowledge of the nature of this world. And also, again, in the bhakti tradition, we would say we're not of this place, that we're meant, this is... Krishna certifies in Bhagavad Gita this is a place of suffering and it's a place that's temporary and we're meant for a much higher life. I think that's really important that we're na by nature spiritual beings and we're meant from uh, accessing uh, our real identity as spiritual beings and in a higher world, a higher life, and a higher consciousness. So that needs to be taught to children. One other thing I wanted to say about Gauravani is when I meet people, people will always say to me, oh, you must be so proud of him. Mm. And sometimes I get in a little bit of trouble because I say that I'm not proud of him. <laughs> I'm actually very grateful because mm. I just feel that he's just such a gift and 
I tried to help him. I made a lot of mistakes. I tried to help him in whatever ways I could. But there's a beautiful verse from Khalil Gibran, um, uh, from the, the Prophet. I don't know if you know that book. But he says, your children are like arrows shot from your bow. You may strive to be like them, but do not strive to make them like you. Mm. So I think that's also a pitfall of parenting. Parents like to, um, you know, enjoy vicariously through their kids and then try to make their kids into little models of themselves. But yeah. that's also always or everything that they couldn't be. Yeah, everything yeah. that they couldn't be, and you know, my child's going to be a, you know, a doctor or an engineer <laughs> or whatever. But um, yeah. we should we should be helping our children to uncover their own best selves and become the best version of them themselves that they can be and that will be um, wonderful for them mm. and sometimes that means allowing them to grow through different struggles in life and, yeah and just man yeah. up in a way yeah <laughs> because um people who don't live their dreams can can grow up being very frustrated people I'm thinking of a quote from from henry david thoreau what did he say he said um most men lead lives of quiet desperation and they die with the song still in them. Isn't that, it's just, That's it's, quite sad. imagine <laughs> to die with a song still in you, never sung. That song that I could have sung is, is still in me. Yeah. Just leading a quiet never life. Never the courage. Yeah. So people, you know, people are motivated by fear, but I guess with our kids or whoever we, ourselves, setting an example, try to, live live our dream as best as possible and we may have to also make a living maybe that's on the yeah. side or maybe it's at the same time but um try, try to live that um, and i feel that bhakti is all about that yeah like um our friends we, we have kirtan london here but our friends in dubai have kirtan dubai wow. and the most beautiful feedback i've ever heard from kirtan is an arab family from saudi arabia coming to a kirtan saying thank you for teaching us how to love Allah. Wow. Their entire life, they were taught to fear. And I'm not just saying this for Muslims, but Christianity, yeah. Judaism, so many people are taught to fear. But if you're taught to love, then that, that's a yeah. beautiful thing. Yeah, I was quoting, I gave a class this morning, and I was mm. quoting an Islamic woman saint named Rabia. And she was really very pure in her devotion. And she said something like this, this is a paraphrase, but she said something like, if I worship you, God, Allah, for, um, to, to avoid the, the suffering of hell, then let me burn there forever. And if I worship you just for the pleasures of heaven, let me never see heaven, but let me love you for your beauty alone. So yeah, I really believe that. I really believe that 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 there's almost like an underground reservoir where all of these traditions connect at their source, that, mm. that God is love and, and we're meant to give and receive love and, and that's our joy and that's our, our nature to be feeling that joy. And, that, and that's, that, that's taught by all the saints of all the great traditions. But it gets covered over, as you were saying earlier, it gets covered over by, by ritual and don't do this and don't do this and stand up, sit down, and, and uh, we get calcified. So we have to try to keep that fire alive. Changing the, the subjects a little bit, but also on this theme of becoming calcified. Um, I feel that 2019 was a great year for women around the world. 
And, and I'm just remembering this speech that uh, Oprah gave at the Golden Globe Awards. I don't know if you've seen that, but she, she gave a really strong speech to encourage and empower women around the world that they don't need to be taken advantage of and they, um, they do have equal rights. I know that in a way no one's equal, everyone's completely different, but also we're all spirit souls and we all have an equal right to yeah. you know, spirituality, work, relationships, etc. And the reason why I guess I'm interested in this subject and, and trying to help women around the world is because, um, you know, my father left uh, before uh-huh. I was born and uh, I've seen my mom struggle mm-hmm. and I've seen how strong she is in in raising me and always, you know, um, working and, and supporting and, and trying to support the temple as well, just mm-hmm. reading Papa's book. So I've always been... Uh, a huge admirer of strong women. I was fortunate to meet Mother Yamuna as well. We did mm-hmm. a month together of Kirtan and I saw her purity and I saw how I don't think any men around the world matched her level of purity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've also had the, the good fortune of spending many years with Janabi traveling around doing Kirtan together. And so I, basically what I'm trying to say is I, I want to support women in, in whatever way we can, what can men do to to make women in the world feel more um, protected and loved and, and have strength to... Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, you know, sometimes people say that in India um, there's a like a tendency for, or a tradition of goddess worship, that, mm. that um, goddess, goddesses can be put on a pedestal, but then in ordinary household dealings that women aren't respected. But um, I think, yeah, there has to be, there has to be a, a human respect and also um, understand the sacred nature of, of all living beings and how we have so much to learn from each other. Um, in human relationships, I think there has to be, yeah, that mutual respect and, um, and honoring that all voices are sacred and that no one is meant to be my slave. And um, the husband is not meant to be a slave to the wife. The wife mm-hmm. is not meant to be a slave to the husband. There has to be a, a mutual respect. And, and maybe sometimes people are threatened when they see the strength of women. But, but I think in bhakti, um, the strength is, it's, um, it's a shared strength. So when we think it's my strength, then it becomes off-kilter and off-balance. So... In the bhakti tradition, you always have Sita and Ram. You have mm-hmm. Radha, Krishna, Shiva, and Parvati. And it's never just the goddess being worshipped alone or even a lonely male deity being worshipped alone. It's always that um, that, re- yeah, that reciprocation. And I think it's very, it's very balanced and it's very sacred because that's the way nature is. Even in nature, you have some, some trees have, have a male tree like you know ginkgos are like that there's a male ginkgo and a female ginkgo some flowers have the male and female parts within the one flower mm. but there is a balance in the world of male and female in the energies of the yin the yang and um and 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 we're meant to honor both sides that's really important um yeah honor honor both voices and sometimes 
sometimes the most uh, the most enlightened men, sometimes we see that men who are very enlightened on the spiritual path have those, those soft and almost more feminine qualities. Mm. Again, like, you know, like St. Francis. And, you know, we hear uh, about Muhammad, but most people don't know that Muhammad wouldn't even harm an in- insect. Right. Apparently that's there in the history that he himself wouldn't even harm an insect. So, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, honoring the feminine voices and not to be threatened, but we shouldn't, none of us, whether we're men or women, we shouldn't misuse our power. Mm. We shouldn't misuse our, women can mis, misuse their power over men. You know, women can can have a, a, a very mundane shakti and, and uh, misuse that power, and men can misuse their power. So we have to try to live in balance and in harmony, because harmony is... Harmony is uh, the nature of, of real dharma. And once I heard Prabhupada give an example that, that like if, you, if you're standing on the bank of a lake and you throw a pebble into the center of the lake, you can have so many concentric circles radiating out from that center. Mm. And, um, and, and it's all harmonious. But if I throw my pebble here and you throw your pebble there, then we have all these clashing interference patterns. So I might have feminism and you might have male power or might, this might be, and we might all be clashing. But if we can be centered in, in a sacred spirituality and, and really call it by any name, but a sacred, a sacred spirituality, then we can have community, we can have humanity, we can have social justice, we can have everything in harmony. And, and harmony is really... Um, is really bhakti. It's really what bhakti is about, harmonizing with our energies, with the source of all energy. So, I like. Um, you're probably familiar with Ganesham Priya, or oh, as yeah. he's known as Jay Shetty. Yeah, he's great. He was uh, recently uh, invited to speak with Will Smith's wife and ah. uh, grandmother and daughter. Wow! And I really like one of the points that he made that when there's a problem. Uh, between him and his wife, um, he always tries to make sure that that problem doesn't come in between them, but that they're a team together to mm. face that problem. And I, I was just thinking of that when you spoke about the pebble, that even if it's not a problem, even if it's something positive, then it shouldn't be the male in the center, it shouldn't be the female in the center, right. but it should be Krishna in the center. Right. I like you're to th- a team. Yeah. I like to think of it as a love triangle. In material relationships, the worst thing is if some third person comes in and drives <laughs> a wedge and you have like a love triangle. That's right. really bad. But in spiritual life, I like the idea of a love triangle with with the male, the woman and the man, and then Krishna or God is part of that, is a partner in that relationship. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, kind of a dynamic love triangle that, <laughs> that we're both trying to please this source of all, all of us, source of all pleasure. And how can we work together to please that, that, uh, that center and then we can live in harmony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really beautiful. <laughs> the spiritual triangle. Yeah, and relationships also, about relationships, I think it's important to, to know that relationships are a living thing. And just like a little plant needs water and needs air and needs good earth and needs good fertilizer, and um, 
their relationships need to be nurtured every day. They need that water. And sometimes we think we just put it on automatic pilot and I go off with my friends and he mm. goes off with his friends. And, and um, no, we have to always be checking in. <laughs> and there's a great Buddhist teacher from Vietnam, Thich Nhat Hanh, Okay. And he gives a great example. He says, when we're growing lettuce, if the lettuce isn't doing well, we think, oh, maybe there was too much water, maybe too much sun, maybe not enough, maybe the earth was wrong. Um, but we don't blame the lettuce. We don't just shake our finger at the lettuce and say, you bad, stupid lettuce. You know, so in our, but in our <laughs> relationship, what that's <laughs> what we do. We say, you're, you know, we do that with our kids or with our partners. And, you know, you are so stupid and you're so mean and, you know, you, and but you know maybe there something needs to be adjusted in the climate of the relationship maybe you're not spending enough time or care or maybe she's not spending enough time or care so there are components of intimacy and i think um i think intimacy so you have to have private time mm -hmm. you have to have time that your honor time like some some of the really successful married people i know that have been married for like 40 years they have a date night <laughs> and and nothing comes that no other appointments can come on that whatever right. Thursday night because that's our date night and that's mm -hmm. sacred and nothing comes in between so that private time and I then that's also a Mormon principle they're great family yeah, people every Tuesday or something everyone has there yeah we have so much to learn from them <laughs> and then they have um, they also have like also like transparent communications mm -hmm. and I know my husband he's the um, ISKCON uh, communications director He's very good at this. So just checking in, you know, you look a little I was upset. Say that. I love that point that you mentioned on Tuesday that yeah. he's always checking in. He's and, always checking in, like you look a little upset about something, and I say, no, well, I banged my toe, so you know, it's nothing. You know, you didn't, you know, but he's always checking in yeah. to make sure. So that kind of transparent communication is so important when you can check in, or you can tell your your partner, your friend, your child, your you know, that something you said actually really did bother me. And, and I just really want to talk about it because it's not all right that whatever, fill in the blank. And also the power of an apology, I, I think I also mentioned the other night, is really important. And I've seen Gauravani do this with his, with his own kids, that he can, even though he's the big papa, he can, he can say, you know, I'm really sorry for this misunderstanding. And he can do that publicly. And it, it just means so much. So that... You know, we hear a lot these days that's about that's real strength and humility. Yeah, yeah, that's so. That's the power. That's the power we have to access. Not a big egoistic power, but a power of vulnerability that we can actually be open our hearts to be fragile before the people that that um, we care about, or the or the people that we we want to care about, or the people that we're trying to touch. That you know, I'm small and I I have a lot of faults, but I'm and this is what I'm trying to do and you know, can we can we work on this together? It's not, you know, that I'm just like a big controller and never just, never fails. I'm thinking of Prahlad Maharaj as you're speaking, yeah. that he, he was never like, oh, there's nothing you can do to kill me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Krishna's, Krishna's going to be here. Wow. But he was actually very humble and he was like, you know, my Lord is everywhere. Yeah, you know, so beautiful. <laughs> it's so nice you're talking about Prahlad Maharaj. We were... So Gauravani was doing this kirtan retreat maybe mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and we were it was over Nishinga Chaturdasi. Nishinga is the protect, divine protector who appeared to protect the little boy devotee Prahlad Maharaj. Mm -hmm. So Prahlad, when he was in the school of his father, 
it was a school for learning to be a materialistic controller. Yeah. And so Prahlad was speaking this bhakti philosophy in this school and causing all kinds of problems with his teachers who were trying to give him material politics, material um, education. And so there's one verse in the, in the verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam about Prahlad Maharaj where the two teachers are speaking. Mm-hmm. And they give an example. They, they say the, that they're calling themselves and the school of Hiranyakashipu, the evil father, that we are like a sandalwood forest. And Prahlad Maharaj is the, the axe that's trying to cut down this sandalwood, beautiful sandalwood forest of this demoniac empire. And so we were reading that during the day at this retreat, and then Gauravani was singing Bob Marley that night. It was amazing. You know the Bob Marley song that, where he says that we are the small axe. You are the big tree, mm. and we are the small axe, and we are going to cut you down. So it was amazing that, yeah, it was amazing that resonance between Prahlad Maharaj and Bob Marley. So Bob Marley was talking about the materialistic controlling demoniac civilization, actually. And he was saying, you are the big tree and we are the small axe. And, you know, the spiritually minded people are going to be able to cut down that, that big tree of materialistic thinking. It was beautiful to see Gora find that resonance. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Sometimes he'll be playing some George Harrison and he'll send me a text saying, Mom, I'm hanging out with Uncle George. (laughs) So sweet. And we're we're sitting here today in in George Harrison's home. So just outside this room, we have a beautiful garden of George Harrison and uh, Gori Prabhu and Olivia Harrison spend a lot of time together trying to think what's the best offering we could do uh, for Krishna and, and in gratitude to George Harrison. So I don't know if you've seen it, but they, there's eight different songs, eight different lyrics scattered wow. around the garden. I have to go see it. And um, each one is connected to the eight steps of spirituality. So Shraddha, Sadhu Sangha, Bhajana Kriya. Really? And at one point, um, you know, as you're kind of walking and looking down, and the idea is that oftentimes we're looking for solutions to our problems, looking down. But then hidden, if you look up behind the tree, there's my sweet Lord. So sometimes we just have to look up to to find the answer. Beautiful. Will you show me? Yeah, I will show you. I really want to see it. (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, George was very deep in his understanding of spiritual love because it's not that um, I've got you, babe. But I'm I'm longing to find you, you know. I'm when will I see you? You know, it's been so long, my lord, but I'm I'm wanting to see you. So George was so deep in his realizations. <laughs> That's beautiful. I heard I heard a story of um George Harrison and Prabhupada where um I think George was actually looking for Shamsandarpur, but he knocked on Prabhupada's Darshan room <laughs> door. And uh he said one of the the secretary at the time, whoever it was, opened the door and said, oh, Shamsanupu is not here, sorry. And Prabhupada is eating, and normally he would eat alone. And he said, oh, who is that? And he said, oh, it's George Harrison. He's like, oh, bring him in. <laughs> so then Prabhupada shared his own plate with Aww. George Harrison. And apparently they spoke about um, the songs of Naitam Das Thakur throughout that lunch. Wow. And uh, my sweet Lord came out two weeks later. Really? That's, that's what I heard. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I know one of George's songs 
Frank Sinatra said this is the most beautiful love song that's ever been written. Hmm. Something about the way she moves me or something. Yeah. But George said he had to put it in a she yes. instead of a he. <laughs> but, yeah. So we have such gratitude to all these voices, these wise voices in our lives. Or Actually, there's a saying, sometimes you see it on a fridge magnet, which is kind of demeaning, but what does it say that? We need to be grateful to the people who inspire us, for they are the charming gardeners of our souls. Mm. So George was a gardener. He was a gardener, but he was a gardener of the soul. So we have that metaphor, important metaphor on the bhakti path, that our, our little cultivation of spiritual life is like a little creeper that has to lean in. And... Um, yeah, actually, many spiritual traditions talk about the tree of life. Mm. So the tree of life is actually God. He's the source of all life. But then the sacred feminine, Radharani, she's that, that tree, that creeper that winds around the tree of life. And, and we are like the leaves and flowers of that creeper. Mm. So we can, bhakti, we're meant to bloom with sweetness and joy and delicious taste. So we're meant to be have that, yeah, those dancing hearts of beautiful flowers and delicious succulent vegetables and, and just be blooming and, and uh, rather than withering on the vine, when we become detached from the vine, we can, we can sort of wither and dry, dry up. So it's a beautiful metaphor. And then we have to look at what are, what are, the, um, what are the weeds on my path? What's, what's choking me off? Or what, you know, where, where are the other complementary plants that help me grow? Where is the good friendship and good sangha that I, that I need to grow and to bloom? So all of these things have to be considered. And actually, to take that metaphor a little bit further, um, sometimes when parents come from India or from another culture or another time even, maybe they're from Britain, but maybe they just grew up in another time, they think, well, um, you know, what worked for me is going to work in the same way for my kids, but it, it doesn't work like that. Because you, if you take a rose and you try to grow a rose flower in Mumbai or somewhere in Gujarat or New York, it, it's not going to behave the same way it would if you, if you try to plant it here in the UK. Right. So because the soil has to be different and the light is different and the rain is different. So we have to really look and see what will, what will help me grow in my life right now. And um, I have to really hear those voices that, that are, that are going to help me grow in the best way um, and really honor, honor that. And sometimes those, those older voices are, are right on and, and need to be heard. And, and then sometimes they're not exactly what we need. Um, so, so we have to really be having the pulse of our own consciousness and, and keep our desires um, you know, in the right way to grow in harmony. Understanding the situation, the circumstances, and also the right. person, right? Everyone right. is different. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have to say I'm really, really grateful to have had the opportunity to sit with you today. Oh, it's my um, honor. I almost feel like um, when I got to sit with Mother Yamuna in, in her kirtans, she was... Um, she was doing this monthly guitarly session, yeah. I mean, daily guitarly session for a month in Mayapur. And I used to cycle past and I used to wonder, oh, who's singing so nicely? Mm-hmm. And then I heard it was Mother Yumuna. I was like, oh, I have to be there. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't accepting any 
strangers, so to speak. It was a, mm-hmm. it was a Thai group, but somehow I got in. So I feel wow. in the same way. Um, I felt, I feel like I never would have had this opportunity, but somehow Krishna arranged it. Well, thank you. It was a great honor for me. And, and that, that longing is so important. You know, we can mm-hmm. be complacently sitting with, with all the, all the, um, everything we need and not, not appreciating it. So what they say, appreciation turns iron into gold. Mm. So you are cycling past but feeling that longing in your heart. So bhakti is all about that longing. Krishna heard it. Yeah, Krishna <laughs> heard it. Get in here. <laughs> um, I was wondering if we could finish with a, a final story from your mm, life. Okay. The running theme uh, or the reason why I, I started this show in the first place is because I faced a lot, a, a lot of struggles in my life, and oftentimes I didn't know how to deal with them, mm-hmm. and oftentimes I might have dealt with them in a in a non-spiritual way, in a mm-hmm. way that maybe worsened things. Uh-huh. So I'm always wondering how spiritual practitioners deal with genuine struggles in life uh-huh. with their spirituality. Uh-huh. So I don't know. If, I know it's a sensitive subject, but if there's anything that you could share to inspire us today. Yeah, so um, I think of my own life, and once I, well, I was living in Boston, and Prabhupada was visiting, and he was kept talking in his lectures about sincerity, and repeatedly he was saying, just try to become sincere, just try to become sincere. And if you look at the word sincere, it comes from a Latin root, which is sincera. I don't know if you've heard this before, but um, the old... uh, merchants in in Rome when they'd be selling marble if the marble was defective and full of holes they would fill the holes with wax Mm. and then sell it as first class marble so that that word sincera means without wax so or without adulteration so to just be simple and sincere without adulteration Not not fake to be authentic and just simple and um, and don't have ulterior motives. So sometimes that can be scary. Yeah. Right? If, if you're not your if your authentic self you're yeah. considered to be ugly. Then. Yeah, especially <laughs> you're trying to be vulnerable, but you're afraid you're going to get smashed down, right? <laughs> and so um, yeah, so I asked Prabhupada. He kept talking about sincerity, and I asked him, so how do we become sincere? And he said he looked at me really seriously and intensely, and he said, how do you become a thief? <laughs> I was so shocked. But I said, well, you would practice stealing and you would associate with other thieves and eat what they eat and learn to talk the way they talk and study their methods. And and he was laughing and he said, yes, so you have to practice. So I think that's kind of like having a pole star of of a goal in our lives of what, you know, what do I want to be and what do I want to become and, and, um, see the people who, who have those qualities and are, are acting and living that, that kind of life and, and try to um, associate with that, those modes of nature. Because, you know, any one of us, we have, we have a choice. We can go hang out with a bunch of gangsters and, mm. and um, you know, eat any trash and speak any trash. And, and um, we can choose to live like that. But we can also... Be yeah, we can. But if we choose, we can lean into that harmonious and uplifting consciousness that that not only benefits us it will benefit anyone in my little 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 harm, harmonic circle 
and, and you know, getting into the macrocosm, it will benefit the world. So I think, I think that's a good answer. Yeah. Thank you and, so much. Yeah, like my personal struggle to what? To be authentic and to really see with gratitude and to really come to a place of, to be like a little child and to be able to see with a sense of wonder all the gifts that surround me. You know, there are gifts everywhere, there are miracles everywhere, but, but we can just choose to, we can lean into a miraculous consciousness that, wow, like a little child, or, oh yeah, I saw that, I heard that, I've heard that a million times. And then it, our life becomes hackneyed and, and stale and, um, yeah, sarcastic. Mm. I'm just thinking of uh, Mother Sitala's book, on uh, Narita Das Thakur yeah. and his sense of wonder as he heard about Rupa and Sanatan, he heard about the chanting and everything. Um, he wasn't like, oh, that chanting is cool, but he, he really took it on with that sense of wonder and, and he would just cry all yeah. night. So, yeah, that sense of wonder is so important. Like the story of the um, cobbler who was making shoes sitting under the banyan tree. It's kind of a long story, but the, there was a Brahmin who thought he was so learned. And, um, and the simple cobbler, he was just appreciating that this whole big banyan tree I'm sitting under came from this little seed. Mm. How great is my Lord? So that simplicity and sense of wonder, I think, is, is very, very important. I think that's a, a great point to end on today. And I feel like everyone watching will want to somehow be in touch with you or right. perhaps be in a... And even if they don't want to, they should. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. They should get a chance to, to hear from you and, and have your association. So where can they find you? Well, we have a... Um, out of New York, we have a, a blog. I, I do a blog. And also I welcome other voices of other... Women on the Path of Bhakti, mm. or just spiritual voices, but it's called UrbanDavy.com. So please okay. check it out, UrbanDavy.com. Put it on the description. Please, as well. yeah. And then we're having an Urban Davy retreat at Super Soul Farm in upstate New York, September. Which is a beautiful. Location, yeah, isn't it? yeah. And that's September twentieth through twenty second. Please join us. And then what else? I'm doing a, a workshop at the Shivananda Yoga Ashram. In November. Is that in the Bahamas? It's or? in the Bahamas. And that's, I think, let me think, I think it's November um, 6th through the 9th. Mm -hmm. And um, please join us. And then Gauravani and I are doing a. Uh, Eco Village? The, yeah, Gauravani and I. So the second two weeks of January, we're, we're taking a group to South India and then mm. ending up with one week at, at what the governor's. We're going to go to Tirupati, mm. Mahabalipuram and some other wonderful, magical places in, in the ancient South India. I, I hope to be there, personally. Really? That would be great. I would love to be We're there. We're walking yeah. up the mountain and with other pilgrims and then come and hear all the wonderful stories about wow. Balaji. And then we end up with one week with Radna Swami at the Govardhan Eco Village. So that's the last two weeks of January. Yeah, I think it's January 13th to the 26th. Okay. But, um, and then we end up with a wonderful magical flower festival at the Radhagopinath mm -hmm. Temple. So, yeah, last year we had about 30 people from Germany, from Russia, 
from all over the U.S. A lot of, it's funny because our group attracts a lot of guys <laughs> because Gauravani is so fun to be in Kirtan. So we yeah. have a lot of guys, a lot of couples, mm. a lot of professional people. That's so, super cool. Yeah, so please join us on one of those <laughs> retreats. Well, thank you very much, everyone. And I hope you uh, take on these um, instructions with an open ear, as you often say. <laughs> and hopefully they don't go out the other ear, but they go into your heart. Thank you. And you can make a change in the world. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was fun.